This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. And I'm a writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. And joining me today is Eric Bloomrick, the new CEO of the Door County Boys and Girls Club. Eric, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Miles. Great to be here. How long have you been in Door County? I started this role on January 4th. So it's a few weeks in, just kind of getting acclimated, getting my feet wet. Okay, two to three weeks. So you should really have your, your whole plan settled here. You know everything you need to know about the county and just ready to roll, right? I've met everyone. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Well, Boys and Girls Club, we've done a few articles on it over the last few years, just about the organization and all the programs that are done there. But you've also, you're stepping into an organization, third or fourth CEO in the last few years, correct? There's been a lot of turnover in this in this role over the last few years. So we'll get right to that. Like, sure. how do, What is it like stepping in? And then how do you bring some stability to the position? Well, I think I'm, I'm really trying to approach it with a very forward-looking perspective. I think... Coming in, one of the things that I realized right away is that what's happening with the youth that we serve is great. You know, the, the impact of that work is where it needs to be, although we can always grow. So really, it's a matter of thinking about how I want to serve as a leader. And I think serving as a leader is probably key to my philosophy, which is to understand how I can better understand the staff, better understand the community and their needs, and really figure out a way to meet those needs with the work that I do. I'm just hoping that that perspective is one that will let me sort of ease into this position versus coming in and, and thinking I have to fix anything from the past. The board is behind, you know, kind of this philosophy of looking forward. I'm getting along with them great. I think we know how to talk to each other. I think there's uh, some new ideas combining with sort of the tradition of the club that make this a fresh start. You know, I just, my three weeks of experience has really been one of, of just keeping my ears open and talking when I need to, but uh, listening to what's going on, what what's needed in this community. What are you learning in those, those first couple of weeks as you come here? I mean, you're, you're not totally unfamiliar with Door County, correct? Like you've You've had a lot of history here. Lots of history here. Lots of history as, uh, you know, someone who's living sort of in an adjacent county, but this is a destination for me year round. And I've told this story a couple of times, but if I could have imagined the first time I ever came up here in 1993, that someday I'd be working up here, I, I wouldn't have been able to believe it at the time. So I'm excited about that. I think what I've been learning is that there's perhaps a uniqueness about the county in terms of perception. So I think hmm. as an outsider, sometimes we look at Door County and think of what it is as a tourist and, and sort of the affluence that we see, the opportunity that we see in terms of being able to go to just so many nice businesses, restaurants, and physical spaces. And as a tourist, I think sometimes you don't look at the fact that this is also a rural community. This is also a blue collar community, especially in Sturgeon Bay. This is a community that struggles with building and maintaining a, a workforce that can make a sustainable living. Mm -hmm. And um, a big part of thinking about some of those things and thinking about the future is how do we work with our young people to make sure that they're getting every opportunity they can to self-actualize and become the uh, next generation of folks who love and serve this community as a whole. It's really interesting that you point to that right away and that you're grasping that so quickly as you as you settle into that position. For myself, living here until my 
early 30s before moving away to Chicago, mm-hmm. I moved away, and that was the first time I really saw Door County from the tourist perspective, from the visitor perspective. And I was like, oh, now I get why people love this. When you're sitting in a city all the time, getting away to Door County, the slower pace, everything, I, I understood it finally. Whereas growing up, you're just like, I want more to do. I want this faster pace. I want these things because you don't, you don't get a chance to experience it the same way. And you maybe, for a lot of people growing up here, you don't experience all those things that the visitors even do. You don't get the chances to go to some of those nice restaurants or go to theater or take advantage of all those things that people do on a vacation. So it's an interesting two-sided coin to like the, the Door County lifestyle. Right, right. And what does that mean then, you know, for the Boys and Girls Club, when you, when you think about that and you think about just the, the number of people in poverty or the people who, who don't have those things. And so there's a lot of the families that the Boys and Girls Club serves. Families that we serve, you know, they're not necessarily all in one sort of, they're not defined by one economic position, but we do serve many who who do have need. And when I think of kind of the core work that we do, part of it is academic. So it's really the after school power hour homework, making sure that we're helping students find every way possible to be successful in their academic life. We are feeding kids. So our meal program does about 80 snacks a day and 50 meals a day. And that is an important part of not only just making sure that we're supporting the health and vitality of of young people, but when you think of what that means to families who might be working in, in roles where they're not able to be done at the end of a school day, they're not able because they're working to have meals on the table. And the fact that we're there filling that need for these families means something to the kids, the families, the workplace, and the community as a whole. Let's go backward a little bit. Like, where do you come from? What's your background before coming to the Boys and Girls Club? So, you know, I've been answering this question very much from a professional perspective. You know, I have done X number of years working with youth-focused nonprofits. And I think just to keep myself interested in things that I'm saying at this point, when I think of who I am and where I grew up, I grew up in Beloit. I grew up in a neighborhood where we had a lot of poverty and we had a lot of opportunity to support one another and that formed who I am. So our house growing up was one where we had the phone, we had the washer and dryer um, and we had the car and, and the entire community. We just were almost a single family on our block and it was because we needed that. As I've you know grown, uh, gotten through college, which for me is a first-gen college student, I can really kind of point to some of the challenges I had in terms of understanding how to navigate that uh, experience Mm -hmm. and how to be prepared for that experience. And that, again, is something that's formed who I am. So when I think about how do we help kids, for those that college is going to be part of their plan and their path, how do we do everything we can to make them prepared for that, even if it's an unfamiliar opportunity or experience for that family? When I think of my you know, as an adult, aside from my work, I've, I've been fortunate to just be invited to participate in a few things. One of them early on was CASA, so Court Appointed Special Advocates hmm. of Brown County, which is a mentoring program for youth who are in the foster care system and in the court hmm. system with CHIPS cases. And I served as a board member originally. I spent eight years as camp director for Camp Tekawitha in Shawano. And one of the things that I did there was we worked together with Cornerstone Foundation in in Green Bay to make sure that we had grants for kids who are in CASA or in the foster care system to just be able to go to camp and, and have that sort of normal, fun summer youth experience that I think is easy to take for granted if you just always have access to that. Describe what that camp was like. So Camp Tekawitha is a summer camp. It's owned and operated by the Catholic Diocese of Green Bay. Okay. It's uh, 
pretty traditional, you know, residential youth camp during the summer. So overnight camp from Sunday through Friday with boating, archery, you know, lots of community building. Okay. It's, ju- it's just such a fun uh, experience. Something I, I had growing up too, going to Camp Webb in Watoma. I mean, I think back to, you know, coming from my neighborhood and going to camp. When I got to camp, nothing about who I was outside of there mattered. I just mm. was a part of a new community and could be sort of whoever and as great as I wanted to be. So love, love summer camp, which Boys and Girls Club does a summer camp piece as well. So, and then once I, uh, once I left camp, I finally had the time to actually go through the training myself to become a CASA and was paired up with a young man, a 14 year old who I've mentored now for the last four years, who just started college last week. And it's just, uh, just to see what it means to be a part of and a mentor and supporting the life of somebody who may not have all the opportunities that I had mm-hmm. is just so meaningful to me. Such a rewarding experience. And, and I, it's hard for me to think about what I'm giving, you know, what, what I'm giving as a mentor, because I know what I'm experiencing as a mentor is so valuable in itself. So it's, it's just a part of who I am and coming into this role and knowing that not only can I work on the behalf of young people, but being there, I get to see it on a daily basis. I get to see yeah. when the kids come in at 2.30 and just hear the the voices and the laughter and the joy and sometimes the shouting and <laughs> the activity and the energy. It's all just, uh, it's just stuff that I love. So to be able to come into this role with what I would say is just a deep, authentic appreciation for the opportunities to make a difference in the lives of young mm. people is extremely important to me. And it's a really unique background and unique experience to bring to the table here. And then you mentioned you work at the camp and then you spent some time at St. Norbert's College. Yeah, so I've, I've really spent the last 20 years doing fundraising of one type or another. Okay. And to be able to combine... Any nonprofit's going to like that in a new director. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it definitely probably got me in for an interview. Yeah. <laughs> and the truth is, is I love fundraising and I, I love it because it gives me an opportunity to talk to people about what's important to them and to let them do something that fulfills a passion that they have. So to be able to combine these two loves into one role, I'm privileged. I'm I'm happy. What about this opportunity made you want to look toward Door County? Was it something where you were always looking for an opportunity to come to Door County? Or was it something that just kind of hit you at the right time, the right job? What what exactly played into your decision to to come up here? So I spent five years at St. Norbert College doing major gift work. And over the course of the last five years, I also started my MBA at St. Norbert. So, and I always thought as I, you know, either finish my master of business or get close to it, I will start looking for a role in nonprofit leadership. And coincidentally, somebody else from my office, John Sabo, had taken a job up here working for the Door County Community Foundation Mm -hmm. and knows me well enough to know when this job opened up that he should send it my way and just kind of poke me in the side and say, maybe this is something you want to uh, look into. So it was a combination of, I think, being ready for this type of move and then being prompted by Sabo just saying, hey, Bloomerick, look at this. (laughs) And then what's most intriguing about it for you to make that jump? The job itself. I think, so while I say I don't really want to focus on the past, I really love the fact that there is a bit of a challenge right now in terms of just convincing people that I'll be here for more than 10 months and sort of building the trust that needs to be built with the community. And when I say community, I really mean donors, parents, kids, and anybody else who understands how important the the club is. And it's not that there, I don't think there's a lack of trust in the work that's being done, but just sort of a, 
you know, how are we going to get leadership to be sort of in a position of consistency and sustainability? So loving to build relationships as much as I do, uh, loving to just talk to people as much as I do, and knowing that that's a key part of what needs to happen over the next 12 months and beyond, just sort of appeals to, I think, my better senses and my better skill set. If I was coming into a club that was just on top of everything, everything was going well, I'd be terrified that I'd come in and ruin things. So, <laughs> so honestly, I mean, I, I kind of like the, the position that the club is in, in terms of what I have to offer right now. You know, it's, it, there's heavy lifting involved and it can be harder, but it, it sometimes it's more gratifying to know like, hey, I can, I can make a difference in this one. Yeah. You know, when something's a well-oiled machine, you're like, well, I'm just, I'm just a cog. I can serve my time on a board or, right. or in a position, but you can actually make a mark here. Yeah. Sounds like that might be a, a motivating factor. And tell me, like for people who don't know, Describe what the Boys and Girls Club brings to the community, what it kind of like what its primary functions are in Sturgeon Bay. The function is really youth development and youth support and building strong futures for young people. The form that that takes, and I'm, I'm really getting acclimated to this right now, but, you know, students right now at the club are coming in after school. They're spending the first part of their time there is really spent focusing on homework and programs that we have to just improve academic performance. So homework that they might have, but also additional exercises to just sharpen up on, you know, on their academic skills. I was looking for some specific data regarding sort of impact of that on the way over, and we're just getting some stuff from the last quarter, but there was one statistic about our Southern Door work that we'd done with our remote site there that I think pointed to like an 18 to 20% improvement in grades for the kids who are participating in the programs. Wow. So that academic improvement piece and, and just being able to have time to do homework and get support is a big piece of it. We also have, you know, the, a big piece of this is fun. So how do you <laughs> just, uh, you know, you don't want to have them come in and just be going to school again for, for the afternoon and evening. So we have like, Hey, school's over. Yeah, school's go over. Let's school. go to school. <laughs> yeah. So there's a number of different activities that we have. So we have art, we have music, we have a STEM room where they're doing experiments and, you know, learning. I, I know one of the things they're, they're working on right now is 3d architecture, uh, 3d printing. I'm working on sort of like city development and what, what it takes to build a, a city, you know, so there's hands-on STEM work that's being done. We have a, a center in the basement that's geared more towards middle school students. Okay. Um, they've been working on kind of a professional planning program where they're actually building a business down there. It's uh, like a snack shop where they actually have to go through sort of building resumes, figuring out what products they want, learning how to do financial sheets and sort of figuring out the whole mechanics of building and, and running a business. So that's, that's great. I mean, education, I wish I would have had that yeah. when I was in high school and my brother and I started a business and didn't know what the heck we were doing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this would have been a great mentorship yeah. program. Yeah. What are the ages? What's the range of, of children you guys serve? Right now we're kindergarten through middle school. Okay. Um, on site. So there has been in the past high school students, but just based on COVID and space, and we're kind of running things in a pod system right now. We're just up through the middle school age group just because of space right now. Yeah. How has COVID impacted the Boys and Girls Club? I know you're new, but like, I'm, I'm sure you're gathering a, a, an idea of how everything's operating now, but also how it's operated for the last year. How does COVID play into your operations? So operations wise, it's meant a smaller population of students in the building. And then the way that they're 
moving through their activities is, is very much in pods instead of sort of intermingling. So the age groups are moving together from activity to activity. And then the meal program too, we kind of separate them. So we have just, we're able to manage the social distancing and the number of students in any given room at a time as, as best we can. We have a mask uh, mandate for ourselves when we're inside and we've just extended that to even hours when we don't have mm. youth there just to really make sure we can get through this latest wave of COVID with minimal impact. Yeah. And even with that, I mean, we've, we've gotten hit within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So that's been something we're very focused on is when we have staff out, it limits the programming and resources we're able to offer. So not that this is a place for it, but we are hiring and, and are <laughs> deeply in need of make your pitch. You can yeah, use this <laughs> for, for somebody who is passionate about making a difference in the lives of young people and wants an opportunity to do that with a very hands-on opportunity. The Boys and Girls Club is looking for program coordinators, program specialists, and um, we invite people to, to come and find out what we're doing and see if it's a good fit. And you did a long list of people looking for, <laughs> for yes, help, I know, but, I know, I but know. you never know who's listening at the right time, who's looking for that particular opportunity. So happy to let you make that pitch here, especially trying to get some people to help with kids. I know sending, um, done a lot of stories about the childcare situation in yep. Door County and the, the struggle to find early childhood educators and people of all walks, schools struggling, hospitals struggling to find nurses. So right. need a lot of people up here. So move on up <laughs> and then send your kids to school here. How many kids in total in like in a given week? Cause I know it's not like day by day, it's the same number. But. So our numbers right now are averaging between 80 and a hundred okay. um, on any given day. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about your food program, but I like you have a full on kitchen there. You have a a chef that works directly for you, right? Yeah, we have a full-on kitchen uh, with a chef and we have some integrated programming to sort of teach kids, you know, health skills and, and cooking skills. And that also, uh, you know, that in the summer then we partner with a Y for broader food program that, as I understand, it does like 800 meals a day. I mean, I, wow. I, I could be wrong on that, but it's just an amazing number of meals per day that are done out of that kitchen through the summer program. So it's a very integrated program into our program. I mean, it's it's just wonderful to see what we're doing. I mean, it was surprising to come in and understand that we're making that many meals and serving that many meals in a day. Right. Because you don't think of Boys and Girls Club and think like major food provider. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you never know what organization, what, what role these organizations might play in a young person's life. I, I think that's a piece too that we're hyper aware of is our role in sort of partnership with the community and other community organizations and nonprofits as we think about all the needs that exist and how we best serve our part in sort of meeting the collective needs of Door County. So when we think about childcare, we think about food needs, you know, even thinking about housing. I mean, housing isn't an issue. I would suspect a big issue in our ability to find employees, not just at the Boys and Girls Club, but kind of throughout. So really working with uh, the United Way, working with the Y, working with the other nonprofits to see how do we partner together to accomplish this work I and mean, do it in ways where we're just supporting one another and not you know, struggling to pick up a piece of the puzzle that isn't aware of what other groups are doing. So Sure, yeah. That gets to the whole collaboration aspect with a lot of these organizations. Yeah. You don't want to overlap what somebody else is doing and, right. and be redundant with the work, especially when you don't have as many resources to go around in a place like ours. What is, you know, the, the Boys and Girls Club largely centered in Sturgeon Bay. But you've talked briefly uh, when we talked before the podcast about some plans to extend your reach. What are some of those ideas and what's in the works? 
So I think that ties back into to what I was just saying about making sure that we're collaborating and finding the unmet needs and seeing how we can serve them. So in February, we'll be starting an after-school program in Southern Door that will be on-site at the school. We're also in conversations with looking at what we can do in Northern Door. Right now, that conversation has, has been the Boys and Girls Club and the YMCA talking about what we might be able to do at their space in Fish Creek and how, you know, what what are they doing? What could we add to that? And how do we best partner to, to make sure that we're supporting unmet needs in Northern Door? We hear a lot that there, there are needs. Um, I think we're working towards articulating those needs and, and how we play a role in supporting those needs and figuring out how to move forward. So it's it's sort of early stages of the conversation, but with an in deep intent towards making sure that we're a part of the plan to, to help kids in Northern Door. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. And I'm guessing the facility in Sturgeon Bay, is this largely, are most of the kids you serve Surgeon Bay residents, is it Southern Door? Is it Sevastopol? Do you have any grasp of like where these families are? From what I understand, it's mostly Sturgeon Bay. Okay. With some, you know, some kids coming in from sort of just adjacent, but but close. What's kind of your, your charge as you walk in? I mean, every board has grand dreams of, well, basically having been on nonprofit boards, you, you basically hope you can hire someone and then step back <laughs> and, and this person just fixes all your problems. But that's never actually the case. I mean, maybe you're Superman and can do that. But what's next? Like, what are the medium long-term goals with the club? So I think medium-term goals really are making sure that we can expand in the right way through partnerships. So, you know, while, while I'd say we think Fish Creek is, is a place where there's a really, seems like a sensible opportunity to go, where else are we needed and how, if we're needed, do we get there? So that's going to come down to staffing and funding. I was going to say, how do you get there without yeah. stretching yourself too thin and, yeah. and losing your core? My philosophy is that we figure out that we have the financial support to do it and we um, find the people who can help with that. So that sounds simple and sounds easy, but as we talked about and we all know that right now, the, the people piece is, is a challenge. I also think... People piece might be harder than the money now, right? Yeah, I absolutely think that's the case. I think long-term, we really need to sit down and do a strategic plan. I, I, this probably sounds like a very canned answer, but I, th- I strategic think- Strategic plans fix everything. <laughs> strategic plans buy you a year or two. So. Yeah. But I think as we do that, there needs to be, as part of that process of going about a strategic plan, is to really learn from the community, what is it that is needed and how do we fill that role? It may be outside the box of what we've done so far. I think to some extent, like you say, the community kitchen program is a little bit outside of our box. So when we look at the long-term needs and we look at the next three, five, seven years, are there ways that we can leverage the club to support the community in, in new ways? And I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think to be open to the creativity of the board and the community and whoever we invite to be a part of that conversation and hopefully some research to really understand kind of the complex needs of the community that we don't 
we don't limit ourselves to a boys and girls club is this and this mm. only. And I think we've already seen that this club is willing to extend themselves beyond that, but to make sure that we, we let ourselves be creative. And it doesn't mean that we're able to do everything, but that we can come up with something that's exciting to us internally and exciting to the community and fulfills some needs. Kind of trying to flip that definition around instead of it being the boys and girls club is this, but rather the community needs the boys and girls club to be this yep. kind of yep. idea. You know, I'm also curious when people come in from the outside, like I, I carry a lot of baggage as both a reporter and uh, somebody in community functions here. I carry the baggage of having been from here and having all the history here and knowing things that have worked and not worked and what wasn't here when maybe I was a kid, you know, all that stuff plays into like how you see your community. And there's so many relationships. We're a small town at its heart and the community changes over time, but we're still a small town with mm -hmm. all those like small town relationships and the old boys club and this and that, and you can't do that here or you, you have to do this here. But I'm kind of curious, anytime I talk to somebody new coming into the community, how do you navigate that? How do you, what is your like fact finding process and your acclimation process? Because you, you certainly can't know it all and it never really plays well to walk into a small town and say, here's how it's done. I did this, you should do this. Like, so how do you navigate that? Right, I, and I think that goes against my sort of nature and common sense to do that. And I probably one of the reasons why maybe I was offered this position is because I made it clear that I wasn't coming in with sort of a preconceived set of ideas about how we should do things, but rather an open mind. How I navigate that really for me, and, and this is just sort of practical approaches, I start with, with the board and the staff. So I want to know who they know. I want to be introduced to who they know. I want to be able to talk to who they know. And I think that, you know, like you say, part of being a small town is I would guess that I haven't looked at a lot of other nonprofit boards, but my guess is there's a lot of overlap, if not in actual people, certainly in experience and, you know, sort of social circles. Yeah. So that, that piece, leveraging that relationship with mm -hmm. the board and the staff and getting to know people and to do it with hopefully a likable ability to play my new guy card and <laughs> and just sort of ask questions and hear things out is a big piece of it. So, you know, right now for me, obviously fundraising is a big piece of being a, a CEO of a, of a nonprofit. So reaching out to those who who've supported the club in the past or we think might support the club in the future. But I also don't want to get too myopic in that because I think it's the value of those who support the club, be it with money, be it with time, be it with kind words and advocacy in the community, I value all of that. At default, it's it's sort of easy to go to those donors because I know I need to shore up those relationships and let them get to know me and, and sort of understand what their dreams and hopes are for the club You know, right away. It, it's a matter of getting to know people. It's a matter of talking to people. And the, the board and the staff are a good way to just get that started. When you talk about fundraising for the Boys and Girls Club, I guess, how is the Boys and Girls Club funded? Like, what is your operating budget? And then where does where do those dollars come from? So we work with about a, a million-ish dollar budget. Okay. And the funds for that are coming from... I also talk about millions of dollars with an ish. Like, ah, a million-ish here, a million-ish <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'd love that ish to just... <laughs> extend to uh, mil, you know million five but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to go too fast but a lot of that's coming from individual donors in the community that's also coming from the united way it's coming from a number of different foundations and then there's also some funding that we get from 
state and federal grants. So it's a okay. combination of that. The relationships I'm most interested in right now are our local foundations and our local donors as we think about sort of the next phase of funding. But there's just a tremendous amount of community support behind the funding of the Boys and Girls Club. And so when you're talking about fundraising, these are operating annual operating expenses is kind of what you fundraise for, not, not yeah. necessarily capital campaigns, at, the, right. at least not right now. Not right now. It's operating expenses. And then, you know, within that, there are a lot of different initiatives that we do that are specifically funded by donors who really wanted to go toward the food program or the STEM program or, you know, it's sort of things that we might need or dream of in any given year. This might be more of a question for your board as they've been probably looking at these kind of things. But when you look at the horizon for the Boys and Girls Club, like the needs of a community change over time, right? The needs of youth change. Do you foresee like, hey, here's something that we might have to deal with over the coming years that and maybe we're not doing now or that isn't as big a part of what we're doing now? whether it's food insecurity or after-school programs or... Yeah, I do. I mean, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is how do we... I'll probably get ahead of myself on this, so this might be one of those things, but how do we help address the housing issue? Mm. And I I don't know what that is. I I don't know, but obviously what we offer to the community, we ask for a very minimal financial input from the families that we serve. So we are not, uh, you know, we don't we don't have any line item in our operating budget that's income related to kind Member, of the work we do. Or yeah, yeah. So this is kind of fully community funded, and I think, I think it's just understand having a pulse on on what's going on. So United Way is great for that. I think one of the things that you know, mental mental health that is uh, yeah. certainly there's a growing consciousness of the impact of mental health in the community, and COVID has probably amplified that, magnified that. And for an organization like yours, when you talk mental health, that doesn't automatically go, oh, we need to get a counselor or anything. Right. But it might mean your staff needs to be trained in a different way. It might need a, a lot of different things. Coordination right. with schools. And I think a big part of what it means is what are we doing to support young people now so that as they mature and age, that some of the things that might trigger mental health issues just in terms of kind of social experiences that we're getting out ahead of. So thinking about the work that we're doing in terms of what is the impact going to be on mental health 10, 15, 20 years down the road Mm. um, for the kids that we serve? How are we helping to create self-confidence in ways that help the kids that we serve overcome the issues that are going to come up? And, you know, the issues that have come up through COVID, the issues that will come up as employment is either low or, or wages are, are low and, and people are having a hard time just getting mm-hmm. by. But I think to articulate that need in the work that we do in a more comprehensive way, looking at the, the way that we serve the community is, is something that is always important. We, we talked briefly about the struggle to find people. And one of the things that serving on, on boards myself and, and looking at municipalities and looking at census data as it, as it comes in, it's not just people, but we might have to rethink what our costs are as a nonprofit. What is our budget three years from now, four years from now look like if we want to retain people, you yeah. know, as the labor market, we tend to think of the labor market in terms of like private business, but nonprofits have to react to that too. And if wages are going up in other sectors, which is all for it, everyone should be making more and never begrudge anybody for making more, even as a business owner, even if, as it makes it tougher, but you then have to go, all right, how do we keep these people around? Because you don't want to be the nonprofit that's still stuck in this certain wage structure and this way of thinking about what you pay people and then everything passes you by. So you're frightened for scraps. You're yeah. not getting the best people. It's a justice and equity issue as well. I mm-hmm. mean, we we are very much trying to tout the support we 
provide to a community in terms of helping people out. And if we're not able to do that for our own employees, then we're missing what should be an obvious opportunity. I think that's something that this board and Jennifer Gentry in particular, she served as the interim CEO, were not just She's probably really happy to have you here. That <laughs> you know, I don't want to speak for Jen, but uh, yes, she probably thinks she is. There, <laughs> so. There's nothing like stepping into a temporary leadership role like that. But she did such a good job, and I think one of the things that's helpful is having somebody who is a board member actually be in the role and have to, you know, have the opportunity to experience what is it like day to day there. What are the day to day challenges? Because it it's going to create much more opportunity to avoid disconnect between myself, the board, and the staff that we have. But that conversation about wages and and paying people well and retention was very much a part of the last six months and something that we're working to address internally. And, And that means, you know, like I say, from the way that we operate, that means more fundraising. But, yeah. the, you know, there's nothing wrong with fundraising to make sure that we're able to pay the staff who are doing such incredible work a livable wage. Yeah, there is a misperception out there. And there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Pallotta, the writer. He's written some great books on this, one of them called Uncharitable. But generally, our knee jerk to look at nonprofits is to say like, all right, how much actually goes to programming? Oh, so much goes to salaries and wages. That's a bad nonprofit. But almost any entity, any business, the bulk of your expenses are your salaries and wages is what you pay your people. Yep. So if you're asking a nonprofit necessarily to be like, hold that number down, you're asking them to not pay their people well, which creates a problem that another nonprofit has to solve. So right, to exactly. Like, yeah. so, so like look at childcare expenses in, in Door County or not expenses, but childcare workers, to their credit, our local daycare centers are doing some work to try and increase those wages. But at one point I was looking at like the affordable housing that is being proposed to be built in Sister Bay. And based on the wages, the average wages, you'd say, oh, all the people that take care of our kids would qualify for that subsidized housing. That's, yeah. So we're just, by not paying for the one service, you're creating this other thing that you also have to then fundraise for as a community. Right. So. And I think that's part of my job is to be able to frame that in, in the conversations I have in a way that really shows the value of making sure that we are taking care of the people who are doing this work to not sort of not not want to disguise our operating expenses in any way other than what they are. I mean, we, we spend a lot on program. We spend a lot on equipment. We do a lot. We, you know, we spend a fair amount on, on making sure that there's food for these young people, but we have to have the people who do that. And if they love what they're doing and feel appreciated, not only is it going to make it easier for them, but it, it's in line with our mission of being a, a nonprofit that's supporting people in this community. Well, Eric, we've touched on a lot of different things, both specific to the Boys and Girls Club and and society in general. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up today? To me, I I think it's it's still magical for me to be coming up to Door County every day, Hmm. to be able to to drive along the bay in the morning and to drive along the bay in the evening, to get past that Door County line sign and the the first, you know, sandstone cliffs, you know, (laughs) and I don't know if they're sandstone, so forgive me, geologists, if I'm wrong. And to drive into Sturgeon Bay is just... uh, it's almost like I'm on vacation every day. Once I get into work, it's not as much like that. But yeah, don't the, tell you bored that. Yeah, <laughs> the, the sense of making that trip and coming here is something that I treasure already. And as I drive past the businesses on my way in through Sturgeon Bay to the Boys and Girls Club and think, 
before the end of, of this week, I, I need to go to Razor's Edge and get a haircut because that place just looks so awesome. Just a little <laughs> glass and there's people there at 730 or, you know, I got to get to this coffee. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do coffee shop versus coffee shop yet because I want to do all of them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just such a cool privilege for me to be able to be coming into this community and becoming a part of it. So I want that, uh, that sense to last as long as possible. Well, well, hopefully you last as long as possible as well. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you, Eric, for joining us on the podcast and talking about this. And hopefully we have you back in a, in a few months and have some things underway that you want to talk about to the community. Thanks, Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.